0: Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Thank you, Israel. Hello, good morning. How are you guys doing? Well, I've come down once again. Why does the weather always seem bad when I come down from Kalamazoo? It's amazing. But, you know, I guess I'll take this over over a snowstorm, which has happened in the past. So, hi, I'm happy to be here continuing the series on First John called Be Light. This is a little different than what we normally do, so if you're visiting, it's not always like this, but we do try to have kind of an expository sermon series at least once a year. So, you're going to notice that almost everything we do today is going to be, well, everything we do today is going to be just Scripture. We are going to sit in a passage of scripture and we are going to talk about it. It's a crazy idea. We're going to try reading the Bible this morning at church. So I hope you guys are looking forward to that. But before we jump forward to get into the new section, let's recap a little bit just about who John is and and why he's writing this book, all right? This is John the Apostle. Now, this guy was a fisherman before he was called by Jesus. Now, all that means is basically he wasn't the best and the brightest. He was not apprentice to a rabbi as a young man. He went through Jewish schooling. He probably had a very good grasp of their scriptures. But, you know, he wasn't the 4.0 guy. He didn't get apprenticed to a rabbi. That wasn't going to be his career. He was a fisherman until Jesus said, I want you and bring your brother too, James and John. James and John must have had something special about them because Jesus called them sons of thunder. He doesn't really explain why, but there must have been a pretty good reason to call these two sons of thunder. You got these guys around, whoa, things must be happening. And I think, you know, actually, I, as I've been studying this, I think we might think of John sometimes as, as kind of soft and mushy, you know, because the Bible talks about him as the disciple that Jesus loved, and we have that verse where he's reclining on Jesus at the Last Supper. And so we kind of want to say, aw, oh, oh, it's John. It's, it's the guy who wrote John 3.16. You know, God so loved the world. He's famous for all this love language. Love each other. Love, 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 love. But this is a son of thunder. And this is going to come through in this letter. He's a member of Jesus' inner circle. Every time something really awesome or super challenging was about to happen, Jesus was like, Peter, James, and John, you guys come with me. I need you, Peter. Please try to be quiet and give me the sons of thunder, and let's go over here and let's do this thing. Those were the three that always went everywhere. He's famous for his love language, but a lesser-known fact is that he was a ferocious enemy of heresy. John actually had a nemesis. There was this dude named Serinthus back in the first century, and this book was written later than the others, right at the end of the first century, and Sorenthus was teaching some things that were, did you guys talk about Gnosticism and and Docetism and stuff like that last week? We're not going to get big into that, but basically, there were these people who started to teach really weird stuff about Jesus, like, God couldn't have been a man, that's crazy, because God is a spirit, and spiritual things are good, and matter is so bad and evil, God would never actually live in a human body. So people started to teach things like, maybe it was all a trick. Maybe God just appeared human, but he wasn't really. Maybe uh, the Spirit of God kind of went on this guy named Jesus and then left at the crucifixion, you know? but he couldn't have been really God. That's, that's just out of the question. So this guy named Serentis was teaching when John was around, and John is actually recorded as walking as an old man right into this bathhouse with his disciples following him. And all of a sudden he turns around and runs out of the bathhouse. And he yells at his disciples and says, Fly lest the bathhouse fall in on us, for Sarinthus, the enemy of the truth, is within. He walks into the bathhouse, sees this guy, and is afraid the wrath is going to fall right there, right? And he doesn't want to be caught up in it, and he runs away. So people actually think he may have aimed a lot of his gospel and this letter at the people who are listening to Sorinthus, and Sorinthus is teaching themselves. So this is an argumentative, strong book that we are going through. It's not soft at all. It's tender, because John cares about his readers. But this has a point, it has a purpose, and it's pointed. All right. Highlights from last week. This is kind of the recap. John 2, 3 to 6, we ended with this. And this is a great summary and conclusion of just the whole segment that we went through last week. By this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. This is walking in the light that he was talking about this last week. This is how we have fellowship with God and how we have fellowship with each other. This is the kind of life that can be assured of Jesus's constant cleansing from sin. All of this was was hit last time. Verse four, the one who says I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a, what's that L word? Liar. He said that a lot in the last week's section. And the truth is not in him. Here are some things he said in the first chunk of scripture we read. If you think you're without sin, you're lying to yourself. If you say you know God, well, you have a continual pattern of life that's in darkness, you're lying to everybody else. And if you think you've never sinned, you're calling God a liar. So obviously, if your thought process is so corrupted, the truth is far from you. All this was in last week. Very strong. This is not mushy. He's he's kind of really putting it to him. And then lastly, whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. And by this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. His word here means not only the totality of everything Jesus taught, not only all of his commands, but also his character. You need to look and act and think like Jesus. That's how you know you're the real deal. If you're more like Jesus all the time, if that's your pattern. And that doesn't mean that you don't mess up. It means that's your trajectory. Does that make sense? Because John assumes in this letter, I think, pretty blatantly, everybody's going to slip and mess up. And he talks about what to do when that happens. And this is the kind of thing that John says makes his joy complete. People walking with Jesus, fellowship with each other, fellowship with God, getting cleansed from sin, staying in the light. That's what he wants. And we're going to continue that train of thought today, 2-7 to two seventeen. I have titled this Love-Hate Relationships because John loves contrast. He loves doing light, dark, love, hate. Is No gray for John. I like this guy, son of thunder, writing us a letter this morning. Let's read the whole thing. I'll read it. You guys don't have to. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light And there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the father." I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. And I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. All right. We're going to dive in. We're going to talk about this. And that's, I love it. It's pretty straightforward. Let's do it. The first chunk. That's a technical term, by the way. They teach you in seminary. It's chunk. Chunk of scripture. Not really. 1 John 2, 7 to 8. Two verses. First of all, who's he writing to? He's writing to the beloved. This is all of us. This is a strong letter. He said some strong things, but this is his stance towards us. And in fact, I think this is the stance of all healthy authority towards the people that they're in authority over. This is really John's heart. He wants them to know they are not just some people that he's giving a hard time. You know, he's not showing up there with a stick to beat them into submission. They are the beloved. Later, he's going to call them little children. He really thinks of them this way. This is from the heart. He's doing this out of compassion and fatherly love. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment. I'm writing an old commandment. He says it over and over and over again. This is not new stuff. You've had this. You know this. And the old commandment that you've had is the word. Now, we just talked about this a little bit. But when we say the word, it's really common, especially in John, but not only John. And other Jewish writers of the time, you would use the word word as a stand-in for God. But the word word also means the totality of a teacher's teaching. So what we have here is wordplay on the word word, which is kind of neat. John's a poetic dude. You'll notice he kind of writes in circles. He makes points in a nonlinear way. But he's doing wordplay with the word word. The word does mean Jesus, but the word also means Jesus' teaching, and it also means Jesus' character. And he's saying, this is what you've been taught, right, guys? You had this word, all this teaching. You know how to live So in a sense, I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know. But then on the very heels of that, he says, P.S. I am writing a new commandment. Well, what in the world are you doing, man? Is it old or is it new? What he's about to do is he's about to specify something. He's going to bring something out and highlight it that he wants them to remember. It's from the old teaching. But he's he's putting it in italics, if you were, for them. Not writing something new. I'm writing something old, but... I'm highlighting it, darn it, so in a sense, it is new. And guess what? This thing that I'm going to tell you to do, it's true. It's true in him, and it's true in you. This is kind of a bit of reassurance that John is doing, because he's going to give them a commandment. This has been a strong letter, but he says, you know what, this thing I'm going to tell you is true in God. Well, of course it is. He's already said God is light. There's no darkness in him. But it's true in you guys, too. I see it in you, because right now, The darkness is actually right now in the process of passing away, and the light is actually right now in the process of shining. He's saying, in you guys who I'm writing this to, I want you to know before I even give this command, I see it. I see it more and more. The darkness is passing away in you, and the light is shining. I can tell. So I'm going to give you this command, but I know you already know it, because I can see the progress you're making. This is a bit of assurance. We're not going to get to the command yet. We have to wait a long time. Because there's a long digression. So he kind of says, I'm going to give you guys a command. You're good. It's true in him and it's good in you. But first let me say some other stuff. And if I was a reader, who I've already been called a liar like 19 times, right? I'm like, oh my God, what is he going to say? Jesus, give me grace. I'm like, can you just encourage me for a minute? Yes, he can. But not before giving us a hard time for a few more verses. 1 John 2... 9 through 11. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother. This is a person that if you asked them, how's your relationship with God? You doing okay? Would you describe yourself as in the light? They would say, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm in the light. That's where I reside, man. In there right now. And John says, you might think that, man, but if you actually are hating other people that you're supposed to be in fellowship with, It's not only that you're not in the light right now, it's that you are in the darkness until now. He describes that type of person as never having been in the light. It's not that they were and then they're in darkness. He's like, whoa, stop describing yourself as that. You never even arrived in the first place. You don't know the first thing about being in the light because the first thing you need to know is that in the light, what did he say in chapter 1? You have fellowship with each other. When you have fellowship with God, you can't hate people you're supposed to be in fellowship with. Now we get the other side of the coin. The one who loves his brother. This person isn't in the light. He abides in the light. He's living there. He's dwelling there. That's where he's comfortable. That's his home address is in the light. And if you're that kind of person, yeah, I just said that about abides. Thank you, slide. Who's controlling this thing? My goodness. So there's no cause for stumbling in the type of person who loves his neighbor, loves his brother, and abides in the light. This funny word, this is the word that we get scandal from. Like there's no scandalizing thing residing in the type of person that lives in the light and has fellowship with his brother, That's actively loving people. That's good. I don't want that in me. So I think that I'd better learn to love my brother and live in the light. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. John, this is, this is really pointed. Really, 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 really pointed. Because he started this section by saying, you might ask someone, like, where are you at? Are you in the darkness or the light? And they would say convincingly, yeah, I'm in the light. I'm good. It's so, like, yeah, but you don't get along with this other person that you're supposed to be in fellowship with. Well, Yeah, well, he's, he's a schmuck. I hate that guy, but I'm in the light. John is saying if you're that kind of person, you're in a very dangerous spot. It's more dangerous than you know because if that describes you, not only are you not where you think you are, you're not living like you think you're living, you're not going where you think you're going, and it's impossible for you to know it. The darkness has blinded your eyes. You need a drastic and miraculous revelation of your own state. So at this point in the sermon, I'm not going to call people out or anything, but you might ask yourself, how am I doing in fellowship with the people that I'm supposed to call brothers and sisters? Is there a scandal thing in me? Do I have hate? When I think of one person in particular, does something rise up that is not so fresh? And I would just invite you as a result of this message to handle that. Because it's a much bigger deal than we think. We want to sweep things under the rug that God is trying to pull the covers off. And let's not go one more day without letting him do that, okay? It's a big deal. All right. Now we finally get some reassurance. Everybody say, "Thank goodness. Thank God, goodness. Thank goodness. Jeez, John, can you be nice to us for a minute? Son of thunder. My goodness. All right, here we go. First John 2:12 to 14. Now, before we begin, I think this may be a poem, and if you look in your Bible, this whole, this whole section may be written in verse, right, because it is poetically structured even more than the rest of the book, and I don't know why that is, and admittedly, I didn't go into like a super deep study of this passage, but you guys might want to, go and get a good resource, figure out why it's written in poetic form, it would be a cool thing to figure out, but I do know that John has really been putting it to his readers hardcore, and they need some encouragement, And this is an encouraging section. I don't think, like some people think, that he's talking about different layers of maturity. He's going to say fathers and sons and young men and children. I actually think it's just a poetic device. I think he's writing it to the little children, which means all of us. So I think we can consider this a reassuring thing from John pertaining to all of his readers, which is good. Because look at what he says he is confident about When it comes to these little children. Your sins have been forgiven. You know him. You have overcome the evil one. You know the father. You know him who has been from the beginning. You are strong. The word of God abides in you. You have overcome the evil one. After really hammering the people that are going to get this letter... Are you in the light? Are you sure? You say you have no sin, you're a liar. Don't hate your brother. Love each other. Do this. Don't do this. Be this. I mean, they would be like, oh my goodness, this guy is serious. Now, this is how he feels about us. He's like, I know the commandment I'm about to give you guys is true in him and in you, okay? I can see the light shining. I know the darkness is passing away. This is how I think of you. You do know him. Take a deep breath. I'm not saying you're all, you know... Go into H-E double hockey sticks. Okay, relax. You've overcome the evil one. You know the father. And he, <laughs> it's, it's true. I really think he wrote this. Was like, I've got to be nice to them for a minute. I've been really mean. But he, he kind of frames this like a poem. I'm writing you. I'm writing you. I'm writing you. I have written you. I have written you. I have written you. It's a verse. It's a reassuring poetic verse to his readers to let them know that he is confident in where they stand. I know you know him. I know you're in relationship with him. I'm not going to assume the worst. You need to think of yourselves this way too. Okay? Because I hope you're encouraged. Because here comes the new command. Here comes the thing I want to highlight. Here comes the most important part of of what I'm writing you. All right? And I really want you to get it. Here it is. Do not love the world or the things in the world. 1 John 2.15 in fact, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Whoa. Someone might want to protest at this point. I thought we were supposed to love the world because for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Who wrote that again? Oh, yeah, John. John, what are you doing? Are you for, did you forget what you wrote in your, in your gospel? No, we didn't. So this, this word has a little bit of nuance that we need to work with. So it can mean, actually, in John and Paul especially, the whole sphere of human existence in the mass of humanity in particular. So this word actually can mean all people. You know? But John, obviously, is not saying, don't love all people. He's just spent a lot of time telling us to love each other. He's not contradicting that. What he means by world is this passing evil age that's ruled by the devil. Everything in the sinful system that's contrary to the way God thinks and the way God would do things. He's saying, "Don't love that. It will be tempting to love it. You can't, because if you fall in love with that, the love of God cannot coincide, or it cannot coexist with that. It can't. It's one or the other. So you're either going to be a God-paying God or you're going to be a God-paying all the things of this nasty, sinful world." And John's like, "Guys, you've overcome the evil one. Your sins are forgiven. You know him. I know who you are. The darkness is passing away. All right? The light is shining. Remember not to fall in love with the world. You can't do it. In the next section, we get the what and the why. What is it that you mean, John, when you say the world? What are you warning us about? And why shouldn't we fall in love with it? And here's what he says. The world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Now, I think that... Everyone, well, I don't want to say everyone. When I read this as a high schooler, I'm like, oh, he's talking about improper sexual desire. Of course, the same thing my youth group leader talks about every single week. It's the only thing he knows how to talk about. Don't date, stop holding hands, don't even look at girls, go home. You know, I was like, my goodness, okay, got it. Okay, the lust of the flesh. God hates my desire for women. Copy that. No, that's not what he's saying. All right? One, this church has a very healthy attitude about that, by the way. I won't go into it, but listen to our past messages on sex, and you'll be very encouraged, (laughs) I hope, or you're strange. Talk to me afterwards. But it's, it's more inclusive than that. This word for lust is an intense, impulsive desire or inner motivation that is improper. It can be for boats. It can be for money. It can be for golf. It can be for status. There's all kinds of things that this craving, this greedy need can focus on. It's not just sexual, even though it does have that connotation. All the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh is whatever it is that is driving you, like the whips of the slave master is behind you, you know what I mean? And that's all you want, that's all you're chasing, that's all you can think about. People who have any type of addiction know what this feeling looks like, maybe better than most, right? Where you are compulsively driven towards something. It's all you can think about. And in your clear moments, you don't even like the fact that you want it. But you have to get it. And that can seep in in varying degrees in all kinds of areas in our heart. And John is saying, all that stuff is from the world. You've got to quit it. But not just that. The boastful pride of life. Anything other than Jesus that you want to hang your hat on at the end of the day and say this. My identity is in that. What makes me awesome? It's that thing. You know, I, I know a lot of, well, I got to go to seminary. And in seminary, you get to hang out with a bunch of people that are way smarter than you are, who have all kinds of letters behind their name. I have a, a teacher right now who has a triple doctorate. How do, you get an, how do you get enough money and time to get a triple doctorate? I don't even understand. And he's like the humblest guy I've ever met in my life. He was talking to me about his philosophy on teaching. And he said, you know what? To me, it's all the same. He's like, I don't care. Teach teach post-grad, teach college kids, teach a Sunday school class. It's just equipping God's people. I'm just happy to do it. I'm like, wow. So there's a healthy attitude, right? But I've also met some people who got those three letters, the P, the H, and the D, and it's like, you will call me doctor. I will walk with my head like this, and I expect you to get me coffee when I'm thirsty. You know what I mean? You you see the difference, though? I mean, to one person, that's the boastful pride of life. This is the thing that makes me better than other people. This is where my identity lies. And for the other guy, it's something he's proud of himself for accomplishing, I'm sure. But it's in its place. And you better believe it doesn't have to be something as dramatic as as a Ph.D. to take that spot. It could be your bench press that could inspire the boastful pride of life. It could be your 5K time, you know? John is warning us. He's saying, look, you got to be careful. Even good things, we can have this boastful pride that's not from God. All that's from the world. And I'm spending a little time on this because this is key, man. This is the new commandment that he's writing us. We have to be so careful because it will creep in. It will creep in. All right, let's move on. Here's the why. The world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. John is doing this. Remember, he's not writing to people that he thinks are going off the rails. He's not writing a letter of stern rebuke to people he thinks are way missing it, that he's really ticked off at. He's writing to the beloved. He's writing to little children. He's writing like a father that has a heart. And he's like, you have to guard yourself from this, guys, because it's all passing away anyway. This is dust. Hang on to what matters. The one who does the will of God lives forever. John is writing us. He's so stern. He's really put it to his readers because he wants the best for us. And he wants us to have eternal life with God. And this is the way you do it. So because it's an expository message, there isn't some grand conclusion. We've just reached the end of the section. But I want to recap what we've seen so far. He's saying, look, first of all, you need to know. I see it in you. I see it in you. The darkness is passing away, okay? The light is already shining. Be encouraged. You've overcome the evil one. You've been forgiven. You know him who is from the beginning. Love each other. Don't hate each other, all right? And guard yourselves from falling in love with the world. Guard yourselves from putting your identity, putting your boasting in things that don't deserve it. Because those things are garbage anyway, and they're going to get taken to the curb. But the one who obeys the will of God lasts forever, I have one more challenge for us to think about as we walk away. And this was from someone who, I I don't remember the quote, but here's the idea. It seems kind of me-focused and almost wrong, but it's true. Think about how this is true. To always obey God is to always act in your own best interest. If we take John at his word in this passage, that means that the most practical thing we could possibly do is to always do what God wants us to do. Makes sense. Thanks, guys. Come next week. Here's Israel to close.
1: Thank you, Pastor Anthony. I really appreciate being challenged. And if you weren't challenged through that message, well, maybe you weren't listening. I don't know. But thank you. I appreciate that. Let's just close in prayer, and then we'll... uh, Dismiss you all. Jesus, thank you for speaking to us uh, this morning. And God, help us to catch your heart in that, to understand your heart and how we are to love our brothers and sisters, to flee from things that draw us down and hold us back from that. We just ask you, God, to remind us throughout the week of this message, and um, to help us to live in victory, to help us to actually do this, to actually live this way. So we invite you to have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if I could, we'll just invite